Yes, my name is Michael Burden. I'm from the music faculty in the University of Oxford, and I'm here with David Kennelly from uh, History and f- with Susan Valadares from English. And we've been discussing um, the show that we've been involved in at the Bodleian Library called Staging History, um, and its accompanying book also called Staging History, but with 1780-1840. So most of the exhibition is centred on uh, the Regency period in London. We've all been involved in choosing items, working uh, for the show. Um, And uh, Susan, um, of all the items you looked at, what was the one that you thought was the most, uh, or that told you the most interesting story? Well, I was really struck by an item which dates back to 1776, and it's called the Prosodia Rationalis. It's by Joshua Steele, and what he does is that he creates this modified musical notation in order to record every aspect of the spoken word. So this includes the pauses that we have for emphasis. And on our exhibition, we had the... um, page for it to be or not to be, the monologue from Hamlet, as it would have been performed by David Garrick, the great Shakespearean actor. And something which I just hadn't really explored before was the possibility of us using this to try to recreate that performance today. So it was with Mm -hmm. a few friends at the exhibition who are musicologists and were able to play around with this idea. And it was just fascinating to think about embodied performance, the kind of archive that we have and the role that this particular text might play. It's it's really good fun. It was one of the hardest things for us to recapture is the sound of this stuff. We can, in the exhibition, put out the um, The the spectacle, how it might have been. The images, we can put the text up, but it's very hard to recapture that sound. But what the Prosodia Rationalis allows you to do is to see something, if you like, see the sound (laughs) written down that might give you... It's a very very interesting point because, of course, you can, as we did indeed at the uh, the opening last night, um, capture the musical sound, Mm -hmm. or at least an idea of the musical sound. And, And in fact, it was, if not accurate, it was very, I think, um, clear what the musical sound world must have been like. But we don't have any idea of the speech sound world at all. Apart apart from this. Apart from this. (laughs) But again, which is an idea, and of course the problem with this is that that it's notation and therefore it's it's subject to even more interpretation. Yes, it's very subjective, Mm -hmm. isn't it? But still, it's something to play around with. Yes. I mean, it's it's certainly, and it's representative of sort of particular uh, aspects of theatrical technique, which, Mm. in fact, David, I think from your your um, most uh, item of greatest interest is also your um, point about this one. Yeah, one of the things I loved was um, a uh, mock-up of a, a, a scene, a, a stage set um, by the Grieve family of scene painters um, for a uh, production of William Tell um, to be staged at uh, Her Majesty's Theatre in, in 1839. Um, and w- what I love about it is that it gives you a real insight into the Process the sort of day by day process of, of, of staging a production like this. The steps that we, you know the um, scene painters and and, and, the, and the managers would go through in terms of proposing an idea and mocking it up in these paper um, flats. It's three uh, D. It's three D. It? It's a three D object, so you can mm. see something of the depth of the stage. Yeah. And, get and the, that the interesting of, thing is that, of course, that um, it, it's three. 
it's a 3D scene design. It's not a maquette. It's not um, like mm. the because mm. we do have a couple of maquettes in the yes. show. This is actually really fascinating in that it's like a. It's a bit like what you think of as a light box being. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Mm. They like that. Um, and it also captures a lovely moment um, in uh, the drama where you because you can see this thin line of, of um, uh, the Tyrolee, uh, sorry the um, William Tell's uh, army um, threading its way through the mountains in a dramatic moment of uh, uprising and you could see how the actor would stand in front of this backdrop and could gesture mm. to this, these forces behind mm. him and have a real kind of a, a effect to it and mm. it relates very much to these uh, ideas of nation form, nationhood formation in mountain contexts that um, you can see here in William Tell, you can see also in Hoffa and the Tyrol, you can see also in another chapter in the book on Rip Van Winkle and the American national identity being um, forged in the Catskill Mountains over there. So there's something about mountains and national identity that um, uh, comes out very strongly in these productions. And, and, bo and both of those, um, don't they, play to particular types of fashion? I mean, the, mm. the, the, the time we're talking about here, there was actually a, f a fashion in England for mountains, mountain holidays, and yep. And so on, and in fact, we had discussions earlier um, when we were working on the show about um, Blue Riggy, which I think was one um, thing that you know you, we certainly had uh, you had suggested at one point. Yes, to look at, yeah. the painting by um, JMW Turner, uh, and, and yeah, so there's, it ties in, in a, for a British market to the fascination with the Lake District, mm -hmm. the fascination with Scotland as well. This is now verging into the early Victorian period, and the Queen Victoria is going to do that in a big way through Balmoral and so on. Well, so and then they are also going to Switzerland at this point, and Switzerland, of course, yes, as, which is as, what as we're, a which central. Is what Location for this, so yeah. uh, something the romance of the mountains comes out very strongly in this uh, object. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought I'd choose something comparatively vulgar from my um, <laughs> <Why not? laughs> my, my favourite object. Um, I, I, I um, I'm going to choose the um, staging of the siege of Gibraltar eighteen in eighteen forty seven at Marylebone Gardens um, or the, the zoological gardens mm -hmm. um, because it shows them. It shows a moment in the um, uh, in the uh, show where the where um, the boats blow up, which they do at the end of the. Um, uh, uh, drama. And at this point, of course, this has almost become a technical theatrical term. The piece will end with the blow-up. Yeah. Um, and the Battle of the Nile, where we have the little reproduction of the Battle of the Nile flyer in the show, um, which is staged on real water, turning back to our sort of re realism, facts, history, etc. It's staged on real water, um, but it's in fact, it shows the Nile, the, the, the boat um, blowing up completely at the, uh, at the end of it. Um, and the, I suppose I, I wanted to sort of square the circle because I think one of the things about Siege of Gibraltar, which we haven't quite, uh, which we haven't mentioned really, but um, but I think has a um, a particular ring to it with the relationship between the drama and the audience, mm. um, and also what it means to view an historical event. Um, because when the siege of Gibraltar was, uh, uh, in fact, was being lifted in the last battle with the um, flaming. Um, floating batteries and the red hot shot and all this sort of stuff, which is all very dramatic. But what gets buried in that is that the Spanish were so confident of winning that they got the population out to watch the battle and line them all up on the shore and watch a piece of total theatre where they did not know the result but assumed the result would be one thing. And, of course, it turned out to be the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the although that's never that's never um, recreated, I mean, the, but... but 
the audience in London, knowing the end, will know that they're going to win. But they are actually um, sitting in the same position as the Spanish were when the battle was taking place mm. and being able to watch it. And I think it's a fascinating interplay between the real historical event, mm -hmm. the, um, the audience that may or may not have witnessed that event, but in this case, a real audience, not just bystanders, but a real audience witnessing and then witnessing the opposite, perhaps, to what they expected. And then having the theatre audience relating to that theatrical work, um, not quite in quite the same way, but providing a similar sort of thing to the way it happened in the first place. Susan, it was a, a, a big effort, really, wasn't it, to, to get all this stuff together, <laughs> both the book, and, the book and the show. I mean, uh, do you have a favourite moment in it? I mean, is there... And, and what, what do you take away from it? The wealth of material that we were able to work with because we were looking at prints, musical scores, illustrations, paintings, set designs, maquettes, playbills. We were really spoilt for choice in the kinds of material we were able to introduce to this exhibition. And um, I think that really does help capture the ways in which theatre was a multimedia experience, that there was the visual aspect, the spoken aspect, the musical aspect. And I hope that's something that our visitors to the exhibition and readers of the book will be able to enjoy as well. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, the, thinking about the ways in which history gets retold, told in new ways, told in contrasting ways, contradictory ways, where bits get left out, where bits get added in, mm -hmm. the facts and fictions that are, that are at play here. It's made me really think about uh, not just how the different ways of telling history uh, in this period, but also how that has continued as a, as a theme of um, British and American um, culture, certainly into the contemporary world. We're still doing it today, but thinking about how we tell these stories and, and, and the, the various ways in which they can be relayed to the public. I think my, I think my surprise was, in fact, um, how rich a subject did ultimately prove to be, because mm. you know, th this has been something that people have said frequently, oh, history became important, oh, it's all about an historical subject. But uh, I have been surprised at the uh, ubiquity of it, and I've also been, I think, um, surprised at the response of, of other scholars who've sort of said, oh, yes, well, you know, we haven't looked at it that way or whatever. So it's been a real um, uh, uh, eye-opener um, as, well, as well as great fun.